This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. You're listening to C-Suite Success Radio with your host and executive coach, Sharon Smith. If corporate success is your goal, C-Suite Success Radio offers you informative interviews with experts that will help you shorten your learning curve and accelerate your momentum to higher achievement. C-Suite Success Radio makes it simple and easy for you to tap into the wisdom of other successful business people who know the path you're traveling. If you're ready for success in corporate America, welcome to your new home at C-Suite Success Radio. And now, time for your host and C-Suite executive coach, Sharon Smith. Welcome to this week's episode of C-Suite Success Radio. I am your host, Sharon Smith of C-Suite Results. Each week we focus on success, a word we all know and something we strive towards, but not a word that's easy to define. All of our topics and guests are aimed to help you achieve the goals you have set for your organization and for yourself as a leader, but more importantly, to help you accelerate the pace of your success. On today's show, we have Dwight Holcomb, CEO of HC Development. Dwight speaks internationally as a technology futurist and is the author of The Lean CMO. Through his Lean CMO method, Dwight has helped clients achieve their best sales months and generate millions of dollars in contract value. Dwight graduated from UCLA and U.S. Global Executive MBA program, and while earning his degree in computer information systems from Arizona State University, Dwight competed on ASU's nationally ranked wrestling team under U.S. Olympic coach Bobby Douglas. Let's listen to the conversation I had with Dwight and learn how he defines success and the lessons he has learned to help you gain the edge you're looking for. Welcome to the call, Dwight. Thank you, Sharon. I appreciate you having me on, and and, uh, thank you for uh, this interview. I'm really excited because every time I talk to you, you have so much energy, so I know our audience today is going to really feel that from you, and I'm just really glad you're here. Thank you very much. It was uh, great having our first conversation in New York, and I remember it was it was a lively conversation full of a lot of interesting topics, so uh, I feel confident that we'll be no different here. Tell everybody what it is you do, uh, what your business is, and let's just take it from there. Okay. That sounds great. Thank you, Sharon. So my company is called HC Development, and we hire out as what's called a fractional CMO or chief marketing officer, and we provide an entire virtual sales and marketing department for companies that are typically software as a service or technology companies in the range of about 5 to $50 million in revenue. And in most cases, they don't have a CMO in place, and they're they're looking to hire somebody or uh, their CEO or their maybe their sales manager does all of the marketing work, uh, and they don't have a sales staff that can execute and quickly generate leads. So we bring an entire team in that's that operates virtually, and we set up a strategy with them to identify their ideal customer profile. And once we know clearly who their best fit customer is, we target those people and we create messaging that resonates really specifically to their industry, to their market segment, and to the problems that they're facing and communicating how that company, our client, has the solution to those problems. And so we're, we're really effective at getting in front of people, generating leads quickly, and helping communicate 
the why somebody would care in this case about our clients and what their services are. We have functional specialists in each area of business. So everything from our telemarketing people to pure lead generation, Facebook and funnel ad management through Facebook ads and LinkedIn ads and AdWords, that sort of thing. We have content writing, press release writing, uh, the whole spectrum. It's a, it's a real umbrella approach to marketing. So each different silo of sales or marketing can generate leads in each area, but no one thing in my mind is a magic bullet. It's the, it's the entire uh, implementation of all of this, what we call the lean CMO blueprint uh, that we map out together. And then we implement what we call the lean CMO platform. And that's what make this, makes these different engines run to help build businesses. Well, with everything you're saying, I can imagine how challenging that would be for a small organization or even a large organization to be able to staff up that kind of expertise. It's, it is a full time job in itself to staff that kind of expertise. And, th- and that's one of the value propositions that we offer is that, you know, if you're outsourcing, it, it is a, I, I highly recommend it to anyone. And if you can do it yourself, that's fantastic. We have this, we're offering basically service as a service because we have this entire team of people, both local and overseas that, that uh, execute on all these different things. So we take the pain out of that process for people who want to, uh, get in and have a team operate for them without going through the pain of, you know, finding all the different individual experts in each functional area. Yeah, I'm all about outsourcing for so many reasons. One being you need to know what you're good at and work on fo- focus on what you're good at. The things that you're not good at, you should have those people who are do it or the things that you enjoy doing are the things that you should be doing and the things that you don't enjoy doing someone else should do and having the ability to outsource this kind of work, especially for smaller organizations. And it's just finally letting go. And, and I think it's okay to still manage all the things you do in the course of a day and a week, looking at all that and thinking constantly thinking, what could I offload to someone else who I can initially, you know, put in multiple checkpoints to make sure they're doing their job correctly. And then once that's done, you never have to deal with that again. If that trusted person can take that on and you feel confident that they can execute it, it's just getting, usually it's the setting up of that process is that takes the, the most effort and the most uh, detail in the beginning. But once you find those different people, then it just lightens your entire load and you can just let go of that that piece and give it to somebody who knows what they're doing on a constant basis and just free up all that time. I'm so glad you brought that up. It's talent management, whether you're outsourcing or you're doing this for your own people. And it's a huge thing that I focus on with clients and saying, look, there's more time in the day than you realize. It's that you haven't let go of the things you don't need to be doing. And it is, it's figuring out what is it that each individual on the team and to include the boss should be doing based on who they are and the work that lights them up and what they're good at and what they should be keeping their hands out of for the most part, other than maybe the check-ins and, and stuff like that. So I'm really, that's great that you brought that up because I really believe in, in that process as well. And yeah, you, it takes some time and some effort to get it set up, but once it is, it's so worth it. Yeah, I agree. It's when you start getting that time freedom, then you can concentrate on the higher level strategy. Exactly. That's why I always say that I don't believe in time management. I believe in priority management. You You can't manage the hours in the day, but we can manage what it is we're focusing on and what it is we're working on and what our priorities are. And when we realize we're doing things that someone else could do for half the cost or a fraction of the cost or maybe even do better 
it's time to say, why am I doing this when I could be doing something much more valuable? I like that priority management. I'm gonna I'm gonna use that and I'll give you credit for it. <laughs> that's really that's very appropriate to say that because I, I you know I constantly say to people you got to manage your time, manage your time, but to really focus it more on the priorities that makes so much sense. I like that. There's only 24 hours in a day, and I don't see how you can manage that. I mean, you have what you have, minutes or minutes, seconds or seconds, but there are people out there who get so much more done in the same amount of time, and it's not because they can change time. It's not because they're manipulating time. It's because they know what they're focusing on. Warren Buffett had, a, I think it's called the Warren Buffett method, something along the line of he'll say no to just about everything. I mean, it's like he has three things he's working on, or I'm not quoting his method properly, but he says no to it a lot. And look at how much he is able to accomplish, not because he knows how to do more in the same amount of time. It's because he knows how to focus on the things that have to be focused on in that amount of time. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and you know, another example that I can illustrate is that not just with outsourcing, but technology and innovation. And there are so many new tools, tools that keep popping up. And I, I encourage people, don't get satisfied with one tool and just sit on that tool. Always, if there's competitive tools, maybe get open up an account and try it out. And a lot of these things have freemium versions of, you know, trial versions you can get in and use. Take advantage of that because sometimes you're working on one platform, but another one will come, you know, be a fast follower and emerge as the better solution. And one example I'll give is, uh, you know, just using a tool that's been absolutely a game changer for me is using a calendar application and scheduling application, which you and I have even used in setting some of this stuff up. And so the one I use right now, it's called VCITA, V-C-I-T-A dot com. And this eliminates all of the back and forth that happens during the process of setting up an appointment. So I have a prospect that says, yeah, I'll, I'll speak with you. Uh, what time works for you? Well, instead of doing that back and forth and I send them an email, well, tomorrow at three is okay for me. How's that for you? Maybe, maybe I don't get the response by tomorrow until tomorrow. And they respond back and say, sorry, I can't do three today. Uh, I can do Friday at four. And then that doesn't work for me. And maybe I, I didn't not able to get back to that message until the following day. And then there's another day. And then I'm, well, how about Monday at three, you know, this back and forth game, it's so time consuming and it's such a waste. And sometimes many times people will just drop off and you won't hear from them again because of that, that frustration involved in just trying to get to a conversation where in this case, when they have that first uh, request to speak with me, they say, well, how, do, what time works for you? Instead of going into that dance, I just send them a link that says you can have direct access to my calendar using the following link to pick a time that works best for your schedule. Give them my link. They go in there. It shows them my calendar availabilities. They pick one that works. It sends me the notification, and then it's, you can set up reminders. So I can do a 24-hour reminder. I can do a you know five minutes before, 30 minutes before, and we both get that email, and it works across all platforms because that was a big headache. Always say, well, I'm on a Mac. Well, I'm on a PC. What's well, not compatible for me? I can't, what didn't show up on my calendar? This eliminates all that. So this is one area. That, I mean, just finding ways to be more efficient. And the cost of this service, I don't even, I'm not sure what the monthly cost is. I can't remember. But whatever it is, it's, it far outweighs uh, the, the cost that it, it makes up for the, the benefit. And the benefit that I get there, it makes up for the cost that I would, the pure cost of losing hours and time of going back and forth between just trying to find a time to meet. Yes, I've used yours to schedule our calls, and I have one also that I use. And right now I'm using the free version where it has less bells and whistles, and I have it do a little bit more on the back end, but it saves so much time because it's the same thing. It's here's my calendar, please book a time, and it's fantastic. I love it. So that's one great example of innovation and technology that can save time. It's almost like outsourcing and, and getting things off the plate that not having to pay an assistant to do that. 
I know within your upcoming book, the lean CMO, you do, you're going to talk about how lean, you know, how to be lean in startups and in large organizations and what that means from an innovation and technology perspective. I would love to hear more about that. I think our listeners today, regardless of whether they're solopreneurs and their startup and their, you know, their bootstrap and their themselves or whether they're really large organizations, because I know you speak to a lot of CEOs and on these topics of all organizational sizes, Let's hear more about what you're talking about from a lean CMO perspective in innovation and technology and how that can impact performance for an organization. Okay, perfect. That's a great question, Sharon. So, it, you know, the whole process and the way that I came up with writing this book is that I have started four different companies. Two of them failed miserably, um, maybe not one, maybe not completely miserably, but over time I decided it wasn't a fit. The other one crashed and burned pretty early. And then two companies that have done very well and, and are still ongoing and very successful. And so in that process though, I had to learn, you know, when you're bootstrapping a company yourself initially, and then when I brought in investors in, you're looking at all of these different things you need to get done and you have limited resources to do it. And, you know, when I first started looking at marketing companies to help me put together our branding and package creation and all of these things, I realized very quickly I, I, didn't, I couldn't afford it. I mean, the, there was one marketing company that they were going to charge me $30,000. And I said, well, what do I get for that $30,000? And they said, well, we're going to help you create a nice image and your branding and we'll do your uh, package, your product uh, you know, creation. And you'll have a website and a logo. And, and I thought, well, but what am I getting for that? I mean, that's all great, but what's the real return? I mean, how does that turn into revenue and, and money? And I had to then really go out and find, and it was a great timing for me because the, the, this startup company, it's an organic pet products company called Life Pet Organic that I started in the year 2011, right as I was coming out of business school. And it was perfect timing in the sense that all of these new technologies started coming forward. Crowdsourcing became prevalent. So you know, all of a sudden I'm working with a crowdsourcing company that I think I spent $500 and I had 104 finished designs sent to me to review. And maybe 50% of them weren't so great, but the other 50% were pretty good. And 10% of them were off the charts, really great. And that became the tough problem was then to pick the right one. So of the final 10, I could ship those off by email and everybody could comment on them and rate them. And I got, you know, using the, the, the crowd resource of also my community, got some feedback to say, let's, let's use, that's the best one. And we made the decision. But in essence, I'm a single business owner at that point who's able to act like a large company with a staff of 100 plus creative designers on my team, a graphic design team. So that is a new uh, shift in this entire ability for solopreneurs, entrepreneurs, small businesses that has never existed before that's now so mainstream and most people know about it. But a lot of people still don't know about it and have never really used it effectively. And so this was really my uh, effort of after going through all this and finding all of these resources and tools that existed, I thought this, this can be done for any business and it's great for small business, but it's also fantastic for really large companies that are stuck in that rut of bureaucracy and doing things the same old way. And, and as we've spoken about before, some of these companies are not going to make it because of this. There's so many examples of, of companies that just couldn't get past that red tape. I mean, 
you could just you can Google it. <laughs> you can find companies like Kodak and uh, Blockbuster, and you know where they just can't embrace the change. Or even if they're forward thinking and think they want to create these new technologies, innovation, it's their internal processes that stop them from doing it. And so that's what this book is about. Lean CMO is for anybody who's in any level of business to really embrace this new idea of there's a better way to do a lot more with a lot less. I did. I crowdsourced my book cover, just like you're talking about. I went out and used, I used 99 designs and it was so wonderful. It was so easy. And I got amazing designs. I got over a hundred designs and it was, it was like having my own team. And if I said, no, I want this color, I'd get something back. And at the end of the day, I picked the one I liked the most. And like you said, I was able to share it with my crowd of, of folks and get opinions and everything. So I think it's fantastic for business. I'd be curious for larger businesses, the, not the startups, where crowdsourcing could be a good fit for them. Any any thoughts on that? Yeah, that's an area that I've spoken to a few different folks that are in the larger space, the, you know, the, the, the enterprise level companies. And a lot of them, I think they almost are scared that they're going to lose their job if outsourcing creeps in. And what I share with them is, listen, whether it's outsourcing, new technology, artificial intelligence, whatever's coming down the pipe, you, you need to embrace it because you can use it to supplement what you're doing. You can use it to become more efficient and do a better job and perform at higher levels. Even if, even if your company doesn't want to embrace it, I've, I've even shared with, I mean, as long as they're within ethical confines of their company's, you know, what they have set forth in their policy as an employee, as long as they're not breaking any, anything there, I say, you know, if you have to utilize it on your on the side or on your own, do it. I mean, it's it's like hiring a virtual assistant. You could do it for your home finances. You could do it for anything. But if you could hire somebody separately, say your company doesn't want to foot the bill, maybe you need to clear with them. Well, do you mind if I have, uh, you know, if I have a spouse that can help me out part time with some of these things initially, and then let that morph into I'm hiring people outside on my own, and they become more efficient and effective in their business. Why not do it? I think it's it's in in any level of business. I think there's that opportunity. It is really innovative. A lot of people don't think, and I hate to be cliche when I say this, but don't think outside the box. And I'm not a big fan of that term. It's been overused. It's probably on the you know boardroom bingo bingo game that everyone has played from time to time. But but it's true. Whether you think you're inside the box or have a better term for that. The status quo is used a lot is I like to talk about disrupting the status quo because when we keep doing the same thing over and over again, we get the same results. And unless you're getting amazing results and you cannot do anything better, which I don't think is true for anybody, it's, it's time to go, okay, what can I be doing differently and asking questions and asking questions of everybody in the organization. That's one thing. I've seen a lot is a lot of the times the executive team and managers are making decisions in a vacuum and they're not going out to the people it affects. And then they want to implement something and, and every, and all the employees, you revolt going, Oh, that's going to change everything. And they freak out because who likes change? But when people are part of the decision-making process and they're bought into it, first of all, you're going to get better ideas because you're going to get more ideas from the people who are doing the work. And it's just, and it's more fun for everybody to be part of it. So I love the idea of just going out and doing things differently because that's how innovation happens. I agree a hundred percent with that. And and in fact, I find with just, I, I think it's every client I've worked with at this point in 
there's somebody in the organization that I'll start talking to, and I'm not sharing anything with them that's new or unheard of. And and in most cases, they have great ideas. They already have the ideas, and in a lot of cases, they even know technologies I haven't even heard of, and I learn from my clients as well. But in in all these cases, they just their voice wasn't heard. Maybe somebody didn't ask them, or they tried to share before and kind of got shot down. And then I make sure to, when I come in, I want to give those people that credit because otherwise it's like I'm in their grandstanding and say, look how great I am and I have all these great ideas. So what I make sure to do is when I uncover that stuff and I'll share it with the CEO of the company, they'll say, what a great idea, Dwight. I said, well, that's not my idea. That was so-and-so's idea over here. And and I'm just here to help execute on good ideas that exist within your company already, as well as hopefully bring you some of the network effect of our other client base, because everybody does something pretty well, and some people do something really well. And if you can capitalize on how they're doing stuff and then bring that to bear in, in, in all the different places, I can rinse and repeat some of these same strategies with my different clients. It's a win-win all the way around. But in most cases, there is somebody in the company that has the idea already. They just need their voice heard. They just need to get it out. Or or maybe their voice has been heard, but they're frustrated because they don't have the resources themselves to execute on it. And that's where I feel like it's great when we can come in and, and the ideas are there. They just need help executing, and we can provide that team to go in and just you know mow down the different campaigns that have to get tackled. You brought something up that I think is really important is as a consultant yourself, as someone who goes into different clients, you get to see so many different scenarios. And that means you have this depth and breadth of knowledge. And this is for any consultant. I mean, not just you, Dwight, or the CMO. I used to do this as an information security consultant. I used to be able to solve problems, not because I had the answers, but because I've seen the problem somewhere else. And a lot of times, employees, if you've been an employee in one organization for a very long time, you haven't been able to see what else is out there. And there's nothing wrong with being an employee of a company for a very long time. That's wonderful. The problem becomes, though, if you don't bring people in from the outside just to consult, potentially, whether you're completely outsourcing or whether you're bringing in a team to do some consulting, you're missing what's out there unless you're listening to a lot of podcasts, which are fantastic, and you're going out there and doing a lot of research and going to a lot of seminars and talking to a lot of people. It's really hard to know what other corporations and organizations are dealing with and what solutions they found and what technologies they're doing and how they're innovating and how they're implementing. And so when there was something you said that just sparked for me, that reminded me, that was what I loved about consulting. And that's what I love about being someone who gets to go into other organizations is I get to see so many different things that I can learn from everybody and help other people implement, like you said, their great ideas that maybe they just are missing one tiny little piece of information that I know only because I've seen it somewhere else. So that's another great reason to think about bringing other people in from time to time, just from consultant or implementation perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where some of, uh, some of my best experiences come from just dealing with multiple clients. And it's so much fun. And it makes – I never have a dull day because it, it makes the week fly by because I'm talking with all these different CEOs or executive teams, different people that at the C-level where – they each have unique and different problems and they each have unique and different solutions. And having these conversations, I learned so much. And it's really neat when I can take 
experience through these different sets of issues and resolutions and then bring those to bear in another company. I love doing that. It, it's such a rewarding experience to be able to say, you know what, I've, I've encountered that before. Here's what we did. Let's try the same thing with you. It's so fun to, to find that in, in when, when you get in there and start getting digging into the weeds and finding what, what their issues are and, and know that you've got an experience set that in many cases will yield some great answer of how to tackle it. Yeah, I can tell that you're really passionate about the work you do and that you find it really rewarding. I'm curious with what you just said. CEOs obviously have unique challenges. That's going to be true because everyone's unique and the businesses are unique. But there must be something that you see kind of across the board from organizations of any size, some kind of systemic challenge that CEOs deal with more regularly than other problems. That's a great question. I think... It, that's true in most cases, in, and this also even goes across industries as well. So having had a startup in the consumer packaged goods space, which was a, a really big deviation from my experience set, which is technology sales. I, I sold telecommunications for a lot of years, and, and what I work in now is in software as a service and, and technology companies helping them with sales and marketing. But there are quite a few things that are overlapping in, in all the different companies and across industries. You know, it seems like everybody has a specific need in sales or marketing. And most people are just frustrated with they're not seeing the results they want in their sales efforts. They're not growing their business fast enough. A lot of times they're frustrated with, you know, a sales team that's not performing the way they should. And so many times, you know, I'll encourage the company, well, before you just let go of the salesperson and bring us in, you know, we, we, and many times I've found that if you keep that salesperson there, but we feed them the leads that they need. So we go out and do the, the lead generation activities through telemarketing appointment setting, through Facebook ads and landing pages, through social media campaigns to outreach to very targeted groups. We start those leads coming in. Once the person is given those leads and it's teed off in an introduction where the person already kind of has a basic framework of what the service or offering is, a lot of times that's a much better utilization of that salesperson's time and energy because other than our teams that are all they do is the appointment setting and they do about $150 to $200 per day, I don't know of anybody in any company here in the United States. And this, now these are, we have teams both locally and in uh, the Philippines and other parts of the world that do these calls. And this is what they do. And they do 150 to 200 dials literally. Uh, but outside of that, I don't know of anybody else in a high level sales position that is either willing to, or, or has the time or ability to dial $150 a day. And that's the biggest part of sales in my mind is getting the volume of people out there. So you can find the best, fit person who's entered the buying cycle for what your solution is. Everybody else is not really a fit. I mean, if like, say for example, if you have a software platform and you come across somebody who's just implemented a competitive platform, well, they're not going to do it again for another six to 10 years. There's no way. And nobody wants to go through that headache of implementation on a large scale. So when you're when you face that person, it's also learning how to say no quickly and move on to the next opportunity. But in most cases, the person that is in place as the salesperson, they just are not able to to plow through that volume that they need to get to those people who are uh, in the buying cycle for that specific need right now. And that's that's half the problem. Half the time is that it's it's a volume game, and it's not. And I do a lot of sales coaching, and and I work with one client where. 
one of the first questions they had was, well, help us overcome all these objections, which, you know, I've learned some amazing strategies of how to overcome objections, like things like, let me think about it, those types of things. But I'm able to coach on that. But when you hear too much of it, it's let's step back and take a look at the real, the symptom and not the, not the problem. I mean, the, the actual problem and not the symptom, which is, let me think about it. The solution is really then stepping back and saying, A, do we have the right fit customer are we going after? And then B, are they really a, a qualified customer? If they don't have the right solution, or if they don't have the need for your solution at that time, it's not a fit. The example I always use is, is you know, if you walk up to somebody and they're standing in their front yard and their house is on fire, and you point to that fire and communicate to them clearly, look, there's smoke pouring out of your house, there's flames coming out, your house is on fire. They recognize that, and there's a sense of urgency to fix that fire, and you're carrying a water hose with you. They don't care if it's quarter-inch gauge thickness, if it's 100 pounds per square foot water pressure. They'll use your solution. They don't need to think about it. And so when those opportunities, when you find those, it's great. But if you walk up to a, a, another house and it's it's just gotten done raining and their water sprinklers are on in their yard and you know everything is damp, you can't, there's no talking them into needing more water. You, you need to realize that quickly and move on to the next deal. And so I think that that's pretty inherent in most clients and most scenarios that I deal with. It's helping them to over to overcome that need to press through and waste time in areas that are not a fit and finding ways to pull in more volume so you can identify those ones that are a clear fit and and that really need what you're offering and are ready to listen and want to know more. That's probably the thing I think across the board I see is one of the biggest things that's pretty, doesn't matter what industry, doesn't matter what the product is, it's pretty typical. Okay, so what I'm hearing a bit is there is room for a hybrid approach where you bring in an organization and outsource to do part of a process and you can have your employees do the other part. That's kind of part of what I was hearing with that. And that yeah. in that the biggest one you see is the challenge around sales, specifically sales and, and getting the appropriate leads to the salespeople. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. It makes a lot of sense. And then the other thing you brought up was sales coaching, which is something that I was only introduced to recently as someone who is new into having to sell things. And as a coach myself, I never really knew that there were sales coaches until I met several people who do sales coaching. And I thought that was really fascinating and really also helped me realize that there are professionals out there for just about anything you might need help in. And I think the strongest thing anyone can do in a leadership position is admit when they need help and go find someone that can help, whether it's a coach or a consultant, whether it's talent management as a challenge, sales, marketing, just employee engagement, culture, whatever it might be, there's someone out there that has been there, done that, has already created something, a solution that can be implemented instead of you having to go try and figure it out yourself and start from scratch. It's letting someone else take their experience and leveraging that. That, that's right. And there, there's just a wealth of information out there. I mean, if if you can't Google it or find it on YouTube, there are so many uh, resources of people that can help you do whatever it is you're trying to, to find. The other thing that I really encourage people to do, and, and I talk about this in the book as well, it's one of the first things that I learned early on is that by teaching something, you become better at it. It's it's just part of the formula. And and. So, for example, when I was speaking and coaching with the sales team, they were asking me stuff that, you know, sometimes they'd ask me stuff I didn't have an answer. And so what it really did was force me to 
couple of things. One, I would go out and research what I didn't have the answer for and try to get back to them with a solid answer. But it also helped me really break down, well, how do I solve this? And if I didn't really have an answer, it helped me to compartmentalize each step that it, what's involved in each step of how I got to that solution or to how to answer that problem. And so I really feel like it's important. And so I actually also have the sales team coach each other because just as I'm learning and becoming better in sales by teaching them, I have them teach each other because it's through that coaching, when you're stepping back and listening to somebody else and having a critical eye on the things they're doing and in a constructive and positive way, coaching them about how they could have done better, it, you can't help but have that impact you to become a better salesperson yourself. And across all these things, you know, if somebody asks me, I can definitely get specialists. I mean, we have in-house specialists that do many things that I don't really know how to do that well. But I like to get involved in, and teach somebody how to do some of these things because then I have a better understanding so that I can have a better conversation with my staff or with people that I'm dealing with because I've actually done it. And I've then had to teach it to better break down, well, here's really how it's done. It's, I think it's such an important part of, of uh, becoming better at anything you're doing is find a way to teach, find a way to instruct somebody how to do it. I think that's wonderful. I, I find this come up a lot in conversation with folks is that those who have been really successful in what they do have this attitude that they learn from everybody around them and that nobody is beneath them and that they know they go into every conversation with a, with a yearning to learn more and they approach situations that they don't know with that, that desire to learn and just have that continuous improvement mindset. Yeah. And, and, you know, even to the level of a CEO, if it's a small company, I mean, some companies, they just, it's not possible depending on their timing, but even, and it really, even that's not an excuse. I think that anybody, uh, if CEO, self-manager, anybody, if, if they're not taking the time to sit down with their team and at least listen with them in, you know, being involved in that process, uh, they're missing a lot. And especially if they have a chance to listen and teach and coach their team, they'll uncover so many things that you just can't do from a, a closed door office. Things that, you know, you're asking, why isn't their performance? Why isn't the, why aren't the numbers different? unless you really go sit down with those people and then you start having this disconnect and you know, the management's frustrated because the performance isn't there and the, the sales organization, the sales team is frustrated because management's always pressing down on them wanting more activity, more cold calls, more this, more that, uh, you know, meet your quota and until people get in the weeds with their team and really uncover, well, sometimes, I mean, we've, we've had situations where we determined, well, Hey, there's a bottleneck that exists that, you know, nobody was addressing and it was in the contract process. It was, it was, there was too much involved in getting a contract done. People were saying, let's do this. I'm ready to go. Let's move forward. They would, they would sign immediately, but then they would, they would have to be shipped out of a big, long, extensive contract. And, you know, so one, we looked at whittling the contract down. And number two, we looked at making sure the person stayed on the phone with them and say, walk through the contract and have, have them sign it while on the phone. And this, this eliminated, you know, many, many contracts that were just out in, in the, in the void, maybe to never come back. All of a sudden the process gets refined and becomes more efficient with better return just by looking at those pieces. But you can't do it unless you're in there sitting down with the people that are executing on these different tasks. So I think that's the other part of it is just not just the learning, but the realization that happens by being there and being on the ground. I agree. And reminding people who are listening who maybe haven't been involved in the coaching experience that as a leader, getting involved is number one. 
but remembering that coaching isn't coming in and telling people what to do and how to do it. It's asking good open-ended questions so that you can get good information and admitting that you don't have all the answers and being vulnerable to say, I don't know how to do this. Let's, let's figure it out together and not just walking around going, it's my way or the highway. This is how we're going to do it. And that's not getting in and getting involved in coaching. That's, you know, that's a dictatorship, obviously. And unfortunately, <laughs> something I've seen all too often in corporate settings where people just in the executive or leadership team are so holding on so tight to what their title is or what they think they should have the answers to that they don't go to their people and actually stop and listen and learn and coach and have two-way communications. And so I'm really glad you brought it up from a coaching perspective and that you said these, these executives and these leaders should go out and also be with their people and coach so that we could have a brief conversation and remind people what coaching is and what it's not and when it's time to you know, maybe even bring someone else in to just help with the conversation, which is sometimes just as important as to get everyone in a room and have a third party who doesn't really have any skin in the game and doesn't really have any bias or anything to really ask questions that nobody else is thinking about to get the creative juices flowing. Yeah, that's right. And and it also helps with, you know, any engagement we have. If the more the executive team is involved, the better the results for us because I don't know their business as well as they know their business. I mean, I'm dealing with multiple clients, so I I'm not a full-time employee of their company. I understand the premise and what and I help them find the why and the best fit customers and those sort of things, but when when it really comes to engaging uh, a prospect the right way, if they're intimately involved with that process, reviewing recordings on a weekly basis with us, with our call teams, reviewing the you know the reports that we generate every single week about re- replies from customers, questions that need answering, when they're really intimately involved in that, the the success rate jumps way up because they can lead us in a way we wouldn't normally know, and we help pull that out of them so they can see what maybe on like, like for example we we do a call recording review once a week that our telemarketers will submit their call recordings and so I'll get on the phone with the CEO or somebody on their executive team or the sales manager and we'll review the calls and they can point to me oh we need to say this here or have them avoid this or here's here's one thing they can use as an answer there i know from a sales strategy standpoint how to you know navigate to that call better but when they have product and service knowledge about that's inherent to their company that I wouldn't know and they can help steer that call. And we've created some fantastic scripts together that way, uh, both for email campaigns and for sales campaigns and cold calling and, and, uh, and introductory call campaigns where just by managing that together and having them so involved, it really makes a difference on the output. And it's all about collaboration at all levels because the people doing the work know things that the executives don't know and vice versa and everyone in between. So definitely all about collaboration. I want to switch gears. I love that you were telling us earlier about this, that you'd started some companies that crashed and burned because why I love that is showing that not everything is always a slam dunk or a success right out the bat or success at all, but that, you know, you kept going and you've done quite well and you're, you've got a great organization now. I would love to know how you define success because for some people, crashing and burning would be a complete failure and they would, they would bury their hand, head in the sand and say, I can never do that again. Obviously, it didn't stop you. It may have been humbling. It may have been something else at the time, but I'd love to know from a definition of success what it is for you. So my definition of success, uh, there's a few different elements of that, but one is being able to turn problems into challenges. And after a problem 
happens to pick yourself up after you fall down and to continue going, but really turn it into a challenge and not let it get you down and take that challenge and say, how am I going to turn this disaster <laughs> into a success? I, I have a great example of why I was out raising money for uh, the pet product startup company and for Life Pet Organic. And I was working with an angel investment firm and one of the senior members, we were having a conversation and I had had some uh, you know, major catastrophe with one of our shipments and I'd lost over $10,000 on just one shipment of, of stuff that got damaged and failures there. And, I, and where I learned how to turn that into a challenge ended up improving our process. One of the things he said with me really impacted me is he said that, you know, I, I don't actually want to invest in companies where they haven't had failures or the, at least the executive team hasn't had other uh, companies they've been involved with or other startups and hadn't crashed and burned because it's through those failures that you learn the lessons that help you become even more successful. Having those failures is what makes you successful over time because it, it adds to that experience that you know where to steer and you can help other people. You can impart that knowledge and pay it forward to other people who are in that process and it becomes so valuable. And the other part of success to me is really just taking the first step. If you have an idea or you have an, an area that you're interested in or something you're looking at doing or a campaign you want to run is don't keep thinking about it. Just do it. Take a first step. Ask somebody to help you with it. Ask somebody to advise you on how to do it. You know, get a mentor to say, what do I do? What are these first steps? Just taking that as a first step is a good step. But the procrastination piece just kills people. It just makes them burn inside with pain because they feel like another year has gone by and I didn't, I didn't do it. And you know, so I, I always say to people, avoid having to say the, the most feared five words I think you can possibly say is, I wish I would have. I wish I would have. I'll never, if I can help it, I'll never say those words. And that's what's led me to start these different companies. And I'm so glad I did. I'm so glad I failed because I've learned so much. And, and I look at what I'm able to advise and do today, and it's so... Uh, it, it's so relevant, the experience that I achieved through the failure process that has gotten me to be able to give advice to people that I thought I would never be able to advise. And, and, I, and it's a constant learning process. I'm really enjoying that part of it. So that to me is those kind of those elements make up the definition of a success for me. I appreciate you sharing that. There were a few things that came up for me while you were saying all of that. One is that the pain of discipline is much preferred over the pain of regret which is that deathbed looking back on, I wish I would have versus just doing it now that can still be painful out of pain because it can be scary. It can be um, expensive. It can be hard to give things up. You may have to remove people from your life that aren't supportive to do the thing that you want to do, but that discipline and doing it is so much more rewarding and less painful over time than that pain of regret at the end of it, at the end of the day. So I really appreciate you bringing that up. And then another thing, every time you kept using the word failure, I get it because everyone uses the word. I failed, I failed, I failed. I mean, we give failure is a grade on a, you know, on a kid's report card and I've had an F. I know, I know what that looks like. I didn't do so well in high school and science was not my thing. But, you know, every time you said failure, I didn't cringe, but the word failure for me, and, and as you mentioned, it, it's kind of doing, you know, learning from it, but I don't really like the word failure. And there's a great mind out there and I can't remember exactly who it is and I have to look it up, but basically failure is just another way to do something, right? It's a, it's a way that doesn't work, but it's learning that, okay, well that didn't work. Let me do it again. And I can't remember if it was, um, if yeah, it was Thomas Edison. Edison. Yeah, Edison. I, that's it, what I was I, thinking. Yeah, I think his quote is, uh, I haven't found a way to create a light bulb. I've found 10,000 way, 10, ways not to, <laughs> something to that effect. 
Yes, that's one of them. So he definitely has a quote like that, and, and, and maybe that's the quote I'm thinking of, and I think there's some other great minds out there that have said similar things. So what I like to remember, and you brought it up, and is that failure is only failure, my opinion, if you don't learn from it or you let it stop you. But failure just because it didn't work the way you tried it isn't failure if you try it another way and you keep going. And at some point, even if you close the company down or the company didn't work, it's still not a failure because there's so much you learn from it and you go on to do something else with that information. And so there's very little in life that I actually could say is failure unless you just take all these things and don't do anything with it. Yeah. I, you know, I just, I have the, a lot of Thomas Edison quotes. I just pulled it up on my, on my PC here. It, it the quote we're talking, you're talking about, and it's, you're right. It's not calling it failure. He says, I have not failed. I have just found 10,000 ways that don't, that won't work. Exactly. And I and think I we like can it. all, you know, whether you're dieting, whether you're trying to train for a marathon, whether you're trying to pass the bar or whatever it is, start your own business. There's lots of ways to do things and only some of them might work, but there's lots of ways to try. And it's just a matter of doing it until you get it to the point of it working the way you want it to work and then getting it better at it and better at it and better at it. So I'm really glad you brought all that up and I love your definition of success. And what I also love about it, there was nothing in your definition that focused on the end goal. It wasn't, I'll be successful when I do this or when I reach that or when I make this amount of money or when I have this position or when people know my name or it was more about success. Even at the end, you said it was just taking the first step. Yeah. There, I have a, a great friend. His name is Fred Eck. I hope, I'm sure he won't mind me mentioning this, but he's a he's a great friend. He's the owner of a company called the Randolph Group, They're a very successful investment firm, and they have a, a, a buy, build, and hold acquisition model. You know, he is a classmate from business school. He's also an investor in my startup company. Uh, and one of the things he said, I mean, especially as I was going through some of these struggles, is he said, uh, I was asking him about, you know, his experience and how he got to where he was. And he, I, I'm not, I'm probably not quoting him exactly how he said it, but his, his comment was, you know, after about 10 years, I became an overnight success. And I think he probably was quoting somebody else when he said it, but that really stuck with me too, that, you know, you hear about all these stories and you think, oh, I wish I could just be the next Facebook or you know, I wish I could just be the next overnight success that, that a lot of these people appear to be. But what they don't see is on the other side of that, the, the, what led up to that. And in almost every case, it was years and years of drive and persistence and, and failure, or like we said, not failing, but trying and, and not succeeding the right way, but learning and getting up and doing it differently and not letting go and not giving up. Early on when I got into entertainment, and, and I shared this with people that I work with often, is if you're focused solely on the end result, you're not going to be happy and you're going to be miserable. You have to find joy and in the day-to-day pain of getting up, fighting and clawing and scratching and struggling and, and get to go towards your goal because the, and celebrate the little victories often, but find joy in that battle because if you can't find it and you're only thinking about the end goal, all of this is going to be miserable till you get there. And just remember how many times have we all had stories where you say, remember back when, remember how tough it was and we all laugh about it and it's such a nostalgic feeling about how tough it was. Well, what if, what if you just have everything you've ever wanted in your life? Everything is just given to you and you've got it all, or you even achieve it and it's all over. Where's the joy in that? Just don't stop questioning everything you're doing today. Make sure that you look at everything. There's a better way to do it. It's, and if it doesn't exist today, it's kind of tomorrow. And don't get comfortable with where you currently are. And, and it's so important to do that as a leader, to, to not let go of that, 
that need to daily question, are we doing this the best way possible? Is there a better way that exists out there? That's excellent. I like that question. Are we doing this the best way possible? And, and, and challenging yourself on a regular basis to see if you are and to never get comfortable because that's when yeah, that's when complacency complacency strikes. We are at the end of our time together, but I have one more question for you because I like to keep a running list of, of this answer for, for my listeners and for myself is for my, my reading list. What has been your favorite book or subject when it comes like leadership or personal development? What is the one book that you would just say, this is my book. This is my go-to book on the topic of leadership or, or personal development. That is a really tough answer to give, but it's easy in the sense that I keep reading this book over and over. Uh, it's called Start With Why by Simon Sinek. I'm sure you've heard of it. Many people have heard of it now. If you haven't heard of it, you better read it. It's, it's so important to all of this stuff uh, because if you're not learning what your why is and why you do your thing, then none of this really is going to fulfill you. And you can make all the money in the world. And what that quote success piece is, it's, it's really finding out why you're doing it. Thank you so much, Dwight. This has been fun. Like I said at the beginning of the call, you always have so much energy. You have so much to share, and I appreciate you taking the time today to do so. Uh, I, I really appreciate uh, the uh, the offer to be on your program, and I've really enjoyed it. I um, and congratulations on on your show and the success and having this thing launched and out there and all the wonderful people you're talking to. It's it's so cool to see this all take take shape and, and to see your success. So congratulations on putting the show together. Thanks so much. And you know, it's a great example of that. Just take the first step because I had no idea what I was going to do or how to do it. And I've been talking about a podcast for years without really any real implementation. And this kind of came out of nowhere a very short time ago. And it was meant to be a written interview and someone misunderstood me and said, sure. So, and so would love to do the, the interview. What, what's your format for recording it? And all of a sudden I went, Oh, this is now a, a radio show. And I just rolled with it. Thank you so much for joining us. All your information will be in the show notes for anyone who does want to check out who you are, what you're working on and what your favorite book is. So thank you. Thank you, Sharon. I, I appreciate you having me. Thanks so much. Have a good day. Thanks for listening today. Tune in for our next episode. And in the meantime, you can get more resources at www.c-suiteresults.com. Make it a successful day. Like what you just heard, visit c-suiteradio.com. C-Suite Radio, turning the volume up on business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.